Good morning, everyone. So good to see you all here today. Hey, we are in Matthew chapter 8. If you brought your Bibles, let's get ready to dig in. For those of you who are watching right now in the Seven Laps venue, thanks for being a part of kind of our test service today. I actually got to worship. We are having two services going on right now. I just did the entire worship set. You all sang in our venue with our second band, and we've got about a dozen people who are watching live right now. So good morning, and thanks for being with us. Matthew chapter 8, week 5 of a series that we're calling Jesus and Lessons in Faith. We are trying for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're trying to learn how to build a strong enough faith to follow Jesus through some of the difficult times in life. It's been a phenomenal series. If you're a brand new Christian and you say, I didn't bring a Bible, how am I going to follow along? Everything I read from scripture will be on the screen. So it'll be really easy to follow along. If you have a smartphone, you can download the Journey Church International app and every week that has sermon notes on it, everything on the screen will be in your handheld device. Really easy for you to follow along that way. Four months from this weekend, Lord willing, we will be moving into our new building that we've been working on now for three years, dreaming and planning and finally building. For those of you who are pretty brand new, let me catch up to speed. speed. The blue roof is where we are now. The white roof is what we are building and moving into. If we pull the roof off of this thing, the atrium and the auditorium is what we're hoping to be in Christmas weekend, which by the way, if you haven't done the math yet, four months from this weekend, we are moving towards Christmas weekend. And everyone said, amen, start buying gifts right now. If you're like, like, I love Christmas, can't wait to get there. Um, But this area of the building, this back kids hallway and kids auditorium is open right now. And next week, we will start having elementary school ministry in this space, and we will open this for a 930 service that will have live worship, live presenter, and they'll watch the live teaching, not a recorded teaching, but right now they'll watch in just from behind the wall. We have more people than seats at our church. We've done almost 12 Saturday evening services this summer, and next weekend we are going strictly to Sunday morning, and we are praying that 200 of our people would be willing to worship at 9.30 in that Seven Laps venue. Say, what is a Seven Laps venue? It's that little auditorium across the hallway that will hold about 200 people that will have a live service in it. Say, why are you calling it Seven Laps? Because the last thing the people of Israel did before they entered their promised land was they marched seven laps around the city of Jericho. After I announced this for the first time, somebody said, yeah, but Pastor Christian, like at the end of that, like everything fell down. Like that's not the goal, right? And it's like, no, like maybe we should have picked a better story, but like, no, we like, we want to walk and then we want it to all stay standing. So it's like kind of like Jericho, but kind of not um, like Jericho. But we're praying that 200 of you would understand what God is doing in our church, would understand that we have more people than seats, and you'd be willing in your bulletin to fill out this card, drop it in the box as you leave, or text that number on the screen, 474747, and go worship. It is a great worship experience. It's a little smaller than this room. It's a little quieter than this room um, during worship. I think it'd be a good experience. So hopefully you can check it out. It's open today and functioning, so go tour that building. When you leave, take a lap around the horseshoe and see all the new things coming. We are very excited about what's happening. Matthew chapter 8. We've been in a series called Jesus and Lessons in Faith. Here's the premise of the series. As we walk through Matthew 8, here's what we're trying to learn. Trying to learn some key lessons of faith that we need to help us follow a teacher named Jesus whose teaching has captured our hearts. So we spent 31 weeks in three chapters of Scripture, 111 verses, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, called the Sermon on the Mount. It was Jesus' ministry to the world saying, here's who I am and here's who my followers will be. We got to the end of that. we just been walking through Scripture one verse at a time. And like the followers 2,000 years ago, we said we like Jesus. We like his teaching. We like his kingdom. We want to follow him and be a part of that. How do we take everything that he's just taught us, who to become, how to behave, what to believe, 
and put it into practice like on a day-to-day basis. Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9 teach us how to build enough faith to put into practice the things that Jesus has taught us. So this is what this series is all about. And today we have two goals in this series. One, we want to cross the ministry street with Jesus and to Jesus. And then number two, we want to see the reality of messes within ministry. So when I say we want to cross the ministry street with Jesus, we are today going to walk with Jesus out of spiritual world into unspiritual world, and we're going to see how Jesus reaches out to people who don't know him yet, who aren't like him yet, for the purpose of building a pathway where they can cross back to Jesus and live in a connected relationship with the God of the universe. That's what we're going to see in Matthew chapter 8, but we're also going to see messes in ministry. The options for followers of Jesus are usually not messes or ministry. It's usually messes and ministry. It's both at the exact same time. Because here's the truth. This church is filled with broken leaders. Um, I, am, I am a broken human being who is a follower of Jesus, and God has gifted me and called me to lead this church, but I am a broken human being ministering to broken people in a broken city. So even on the best days, there's still a lot of things that are really messed up in me and you and our city. Like even on good Jesus days, there's still so much broken that we have to learn to find ministry within the mess. And for some of you, it's going to be a game-changing Sunday because you're looking at your marriage right now and all you see is the mess. And it might be a mess. But if you can learn to see some ministry, if you can learn to find Jesus in the midst of the mess, you may walk away with hope. Some of you are looking at your teenage children or your adult children, and they're a mess. They're a mess. But if you can learn to see Jesus within that mess, you might walk away with some hope. Some of you are looking at the company you work for, and the people who work under you are a mess, and the people who work above you are a mess, and the team that you serve on is a mess. But if you can learn to find Jesus within that mess, you can find some ministry. So we're going to talk about how to see ministry within messes, which is good because all of us right now have some kind of mess that we are living through. If we accomplish these things today, it'll be a really good Sunday. We always ask God to speak to our hearts before we read scripture. So would you pray with me here and then our venue, bow your heads, take a deep breath. Two prayers, one a prayer of confession. If there's anything on your heart that would keep you from hearing from God today. Just confess that you're discouraged, uh, you're tired, you're weary, your mind is clouded. Just tell God, I need you to help me hear from you and then ask him to speak to you. God, that is our prayer because between the last time we've been at church and today, so much happens with broken people in a broken world. Sometimes our heart just gets covered with so much stuff we can't hear from you. So God, today uncover our hearts and then speak truth into it. Show us the depth of your love to be willing to go to a people disconnected from you so they could choose connection with you and life from you. And God, train our eyes to see and speak about the ministry within the messes of our life. That's our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Matthew chapter 8 verses 28 through 34 reads this way. When he, that's Jesus arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? 
Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. So he said to them, go. So they came out, went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off and went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So today will be part one of a two-part message in this story. And here's why. Mark, who also wrote about the life and ministry of Jesus, writes in depth about this story in Mark chapter 5. And Luke, who also wrote a story about the life and ministry of Jesus, writes about this in Luke 8. And they provide so many more details to this story in their narratives than we have in Matthew that to really capture the full grasp of what is happening, you have to study both. So today we're going to study Matthew's perspective. Next week, we'll jump right back into this text and we'll learn more. And I think it could be a game-changing two weeks for how we think, what we see, and how we talk about what Jesus is doing in life. We're going to start with Matthew today and we're going to cross the street. We're going to start with Matthew and we're going to cross the street because Matthew's taken a hard turn in Matthew chapter 8, especially for his Jewish audience. Matthew's taken a non-Jewish turn. Matthew is the one of the four gospels, the books of good news about Jesus written to the world, and his is very specifically written to Jewish people. He quotes more Old Testament scripture in his book than Mark, Luke, and John combined because he's trying to prove to Jewish people that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you have a Jewish rabbi teaching from a Jewish textbook to a large group of Jewish people helping get them ready for the Jewish Messiah and the Jewish kingdom that will one day take over the world. Yet in Matthew chapter 8, this Jewish rabbi does some very non-Jewish things. He touches a leper to heal him. Jews didn't touch lepers. It was forbidden in their law, especially Jewish rabbis, Jewish spiritual leaders. Then he helped a Roman soldier. A, A true Jew would never help one of the occupying forces of the Roman army. And then Jesus, Marcellus taught about this two weeks ago, says that you cannot clean your hopes on your home and on your inheritance, but you have to put your hopes on the God of heaven and his son who came for you, which to a people who had been promised a homeland and a promise was kind of a brand new message that they had never heard before. And then last week, Pastor Ryan said that the Jewish Messiah, maybe the miracle that the Jewish Messiah really came to give the Jewish people was calming the storms on the inside of their lives, not on the outside of their life. Maybe it wasn't about conquering Rome, but conquering sin in the hearts of the people of Israel. Like Matthew 8 has taken this very non-Jewish turn and now we complete the process by leaving the territory of Israel altogether to cross the street, cross the sea, cross the river to go to the other side, literally the other side. As we read this text, I've highlighted in yellow the four barriers that Jesus had to cross to do today's ministry. You might underline them if you have your Bible open. We'll read through them and then we'll talk about them. When he arrived at the other side, barrier number one, in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men, barrier number two, coming from the tombs, barrier number three, met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs, barrier number four, was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and they died in the water. Four major barriers that Jesus had to cross to do ministry on this day. Here they are. Barrier number one, the cities of the Decapolis. 
These were 10 cities around the region of Old Testament Israel. Nine of them were on the other side of the Jordan. The one we're studying about today, Gadara, was in the northwest section of the territory of Gad in the Old Testament, G-A-D, Gadara. You can kind of see that built into the name of the city. Only one of these 10 Roman cities in what used to be Israel was actually on the west side of the Jordan River. It's called Beit Shan. If you ever go to Israel with me, we'll walk through it. It's one, of the mo- it's one of the most fully restored Roman cities from the first century in the world, including in Italy. These were massive Roman cities filled with Roman gods, Roman culture, Roman sin. And Jesus was crossing the sea to go to them. Barrier number two was demon-possessed men. We're going to see this spirit-filled rabbi Go minister to demon-possessed people. Barrier number three was a place of death. We're going to see this man who promised to bring life go to a place of death, the tombs. And barrier number four would have been these disgusting animals. Uh, the, The pig in Israel was an unclean animal for the people, and it had become the symbol of the most unclean things that could happen and the symbol of oppression. Let's talk about them one at a time, the cities of the Decapolis. So Matthew 8 starts in Capernaum. If you're ever looking at a map of Israel, it's easy to find the Sea of Galilee. It's the upside-down teardrop in the northern part of the country. Jesus started in Capernaum. It says they got in a boat, and they sailed down to... They intended to go to the Decapolis city of Gadara, five miles southeast of the Sea of Galilee. He actually never got there. Because we're told, while he got out of the boat, instead of taking the five-mile walk up into the city, we're told that these demon-possessed men met him between the city and the sea... And by the time he drove the demons out, Jesus never got to the city, but the city came to him and said, please leave. So he intended to go to the city, but never actually got to it because the people said, we don't, we don't want you here. Gadara was the most fortified of the 10 Roman cities. You can go visit it today. Archaeologists have uncovered it. You can walk the streets. You can walk the town. You can see the shops. You can see the amphitheater that they had, a massive Roman city sitting right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee because it was up on a hill. This was one of the places when the Roman emperors and nobilities would come. They would stay in this city. And Jesus was heading there to do ministry before they turned him away. Barrier number two was these demon-possessed men. Jesus did so much ministry casting out demons, that the people of Israel could not deny he was doing that ministry. So they said instead, he must be the prince of demons. Like no one has this much control over demons unless they are a demon. Like he's, he's rigged the game. He's throwing the game. Did any of you get to see Field of Dreams? Um, like the Field of Dreams baseball game a couple weeks ago. Like how cool was it to watch the Yankees and the White Sox follow, follow Kevin Costner out of the corn? Like Danielle and I were sitting on the couch and every time she hears Kevin Costner say, hey dad, want to have a catch? Like she starts crying. Like so like she's crying on the couch. I'm not sure if she never played catch with her dad when she was young, but like whatever. Um, like that movie has a place in her heart. In the movie, The Field of Dreams, one of the primary characters is a guy named Shoeless Joe Jackson. Uh, He was the star of the 1919 World Series. He played better than anyone, but the White Sox lost that World Series, and they said he and a group of players from the White Sox threw the World Series, that they threw it, that they rigged it. Jesus, according to the Jewish leaders, was Shoeless Joe Jesus. They're like, the only way he could be doing this much ministry with demons is if he's throwing the game. Like, he's... He's got to be one of them. Pastor Ryan asked me on the podcast this week, like, demon activity really prevalent in the first century, not so much prevalent now. Can you just help our people easily understand why that is? And I was like, like, of, of course not. Like, how do you explain demonic ministry 2,000 years ago now? So I tried my best, but Jesus did a lot of ministry with demonic people. 
We also see barrier number three, a place of death. Now, this is interesting because Jewish rabbis, especially spiritual leaders, were not allowed to touch anything dead. It would make them unclean. This is so well known in Middle Eastern religion, by all religions in the Middle East, that one of the times that the Muslims conquered Jerusalem, they read the prophecy that one day the Jewish Messiah would ride through the eastern gate to conquer the world. So they literally built a Muslim cemetery along the entire side of the eastern wall. If you stand on top of the Mount of Olives and look over to the old city of Jerusalem, you have a huge Jewish cemetery on the Mount of Olives, then a road, then a massive Muslim cemetery all along the base of the wall because the Muslims knew Jewish spiritual leaders were not allowed to go to graveyards. They were not allowed to walk over or come into contact with anything dead. Yet here's this rabbi connecting with people who live their lives in the tombs that are still there to this day. You can today set sail for Capernaum. You can sail for Gadara. You can get out and walk the five miles to the ruins and you will walk by tombs that are in the caves on the hill. It's a fascinating story and it is just as it was said to have been 2,000 years ago. And then there were barrier number four, the disgusting animals, the pigs. By this time in Israel's history, the pig had become the symbol of being spiritually unclean. And here's why. In 167 BC, a Syrian general by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes put down a revolt in Jerusalem. And he was so angry for the, at the Jews for continuing to revolt that he built on the Temple Mount the altar of Zeus and he brought a pig and sacrificed a pig in the Holy of Holies to desecrate the Jewish temple so they could never worship their God there again. So the pig had become a symbol 200 years earlier of everything that is spiritually unclean. Plus, the Roman legion of soldiers who camped in the Decapolis, these 10 cities, had adopted as kind of their, their animal, the one that was painted on their shields, the wild boar, the pig. So for the Jews, the pig was a sign of spiritual uncleanness. It was a sign of massive spiritual oppression. And here Jesus is hanging out with the pig farmers. This is a fascinating story. But if we just leave the story 2,000 years ago, we miss all of it. Because this is not primarily a story about them. It's a story about us. Primarily this, and and this is a story about them. This happened 2,000 years ago to these people in this place. But this story was written down because it is a story about us. You say, Christian, how is this story about us? Because Jesus had to cross these same barriers to reach us. They are all symbolic. The real symbols 2,000 years ago are still real symbols today. The Decapolis is symbolic of a spiritually corrupt culture. That's the place that we live. The demon-possessed men are symbolic of people who have a broken spirit. That's what we have. The place of death is symbolic of people who have no hope of having new life. That's how we were before we heard about Jesus. And the disgusting animals represented people who had an unclean part of their life. That's what we had before Jesus forgave us. So yes, this story is a tremendous story about what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but it is a story about what Jesus does today for those of us who place our faith in Jesus. And let me tell you this, Jesus had a longer journey from heaven to you than he did from Galilee to Gadara, but he was willing to take it. And if you don't know Jesus, he's willing to take it today. 
Right where you are, sitting in your seat, Jesus is willing to step out of heaven, even though you live in a broken culture, even though you have a broken spirit, even though you've begun to lose hope, even though your past is not something that you're proud of, Jesus is willing to cross the street, the barrier between heaven and you to take you by the hand and say, let me help you. Because you live in a broken world, but you don't have to be broken. And your spirit is crushed, but I can revive it. And I don't, you don't have hope, but I can give you a hope and I can give you a future. And I know your past is something that embarrasses you, but I can separate you from your past through forgiveness and I can set you free. That's what Jesus still does. Amen. So this is a story about us, not just a story about them. And when we look at the lessons of faith through this series that we're trying to learn, we learn that Jesus crossed the street so the cross could become our street to connect to God. See, Jesus came from heaven to earth. He crossed that street and he died upon a cross so we could go from heaven to earth. He crossed the street and then he laid a cross back across that width of barrier that we could not cross and says, if you will let my cross pay for your sin, if you will let me be your leader, I came from heaven to earth. You can go from earth to heaven. We can be connected. That is the story of the gospel. That is the story of Jesus. That is the story of those of us who know him. And scripture says that there's only one man who can save your soul. There's one mediator between humanity and God. His name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't come to God by any other way except through the name of Jesus. He crossed the street so his cross could be your pathway to connect to the God of heaven. So this is a story about Jesus crossing the street to us so that we could cross the street to him. But it is also a story, unfortunately, about messes in ministry. And I want you to write the the yellow word correctly because the first time I sent these message notes over, I had the word messes and ministry, but I thought, no, it's usually not either or. It's usually both, messes in ministry. And today what we see is unbelievable ministry that really caused an unbelievable mess. Let's look at it again in Matthew chapter 8. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon possessment. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So we know how this story unfolded because of the way Matthew tells us. We know what happened and in the order it happened, and with the importance that it happened. So here's the story. Jesus shows up. These these guys meet him, these crazy people who don't even allow anyone to get from the Sea of Galilee to the city. We're going to talk next week about how probably the town's commerce had been destroyed by these people. And Jesus heals them, but the demons that are in them go into the pigs, and the pigs rush down the hill and die. And everyone runs into the town who's guarding the pigs, and and they tell them what happened. Y'all, this is crazy. This guy and his buddies got off the boat and the crazy guys from the tombs met him and they had this conversation and all of a sudden the pigs went nuts and rushed down the hill and like they're all dead. All the pigs are dead. All the pigs are dead. And someone must have said, well, what about the guys? Well, they're okay, but all the pigs are dead. They told him all of this. They told him the whole story and then they included the part about Jesus healing the guys. The mess got the headline. The ministry got the footnote. The pigs are dead. What about the people? Well, they're okay, but the pigs are dead. Jesus was moving, but the pigs were dead. And sadly, too often when Jesus is moving, the mess gets the headline and the ministries get the footnote. 
Those tending the pigs ran off and told everyone, the pigs are dead and the people are okay. They reported everything. The pigs are dead. Oh, yeah, and he helped the people. Let me ask you a question. What gets the headlines in your life? The good things that Jesus is doing or the bad things that are going on? What does the news forecast most? The good things happening in life or the pigs? It seems like the alerts on my phone have more to do with pigs than people. And when we look at this ministry of Jesus, I look at the ministry of Journey, like so much has happened at Journey since Memorial Day this summer, including some really good ministry. But you've got to figure out what you're going to focus on. You know, the only way we're able to evaluate the impact of our ministry is by looking at what we think God has called our church to do and over time say, is our church accomplishing that? We can't accomplish the impact of our ministry with conversations with people. Because every service is one of the greatest services that someone has ever sat in in their life, and it's a service where the drums are too loud and, like, they're never coming back. So it's like, okay, like, so we can't evaluate the service based on one-on-one conversation. We can't evaluate events based on, the, like, did the event go well? Because we just came back from student camp, and I had a dad tell me it's the greatest student camp in the history of my kid's life. I had another dad tell me it's the worst student camp in the history of my kid's life. So we can't evaluate events based on personal experience. Like, we've got to get beyond personal experiences, likes, dislikes, and, and we got to figure out, are we doing what God has called us to do? So every quarter, every 90 days as a church, we say, are we accomplishing, even if it's ugly sometimes, are we accomplishing the things that God has called us to accomplish? So we always go back to our core beliefs that are hanging on the wall. And if you look at our church just since Memorial Day this year, we look at our primary core belief, spiritual growth, and we said, have we given people a pathway to grow spiritual? Our discipleship tracks have rolled out. I mean, people are so excited. First one we rolled out was our scripture track. Hundreds of people said, I need to be in that because I want to learn the Bible well enough to answer questions about it. It was unbelievable. Then we rolled out the Jesus track because we said, your first step spiritually is to fall more in love with Jesus. And all kinds of people signed up for the Jesus track. Then last week, Pastor Ryan rolled out the leadership track. If you want to learn how to mentor and disciple someone else. I had someone this week ask me, man, can I, can I do them like all four at one time? Like, I can't pick. I can't choose. They're all great. I need them all. I said, I know you need them all. But no, you can't do them all one at a time. Like that's what Americans want, fast food, everything. This is, discipleship is not microwavable. It's going to take you at least three years. That's how, how long it took Jesus' disciples. But get to know Jesus, get to know Scripture, learn how to apply it to your life, and then develop this heart to go tell someone else. Become a disciple who makes disciples. Our church is so excited between Memorial Day now about the discipleship ministry that's coming. If you are not connected yet in our discipleship ministry, you need to come to our men's and women's kickoff event, men's and women's ministry kickoff event on Tuesday, September 14th. If you're not in a small group, if you don't have a discipleship group, if you don't know anyone yet at Journey, your first step is into men's and ladies' ministry, discipleship ministry at our church on Tuesday nights. Kickoff event the 14th, and every Tuesday they'll be in the Jesus track studying the book of John, helping you know who more helping you know more who Jesus is. Don't go a semester without pouring discipleship into your life. But spiritual growth is happening. We look at community impact and it's unbelievable what our team has done. More than 900 volunteers have served more than 3,400 volunteer hours just this summer in our community. That is, as you were told last week, nearly two full-time, 40-hour-a-week people, 
two 40-hour-a-week people working 48, hour, 48 weeks out of the year in our community. There are, according to the last census, 76 Christian churches in Lee Summit. If all of them just did this, I'm not saying we do more than anyone. We may do less than everyone. But if every church just did this, if every church just had two, because of the hours they served, the equivalent of two full-time people devoted to meet needs in the community, there'd be 150 people in our community who literally 40 hours a week just existed to figure out what's wrong and how can we help. That would, that would make our community better. That would help people know who Jesus is. There's incredible ministry being done. Global Impact something we're really passionate about. We finally got back to Guatemala to serve our village of Las Cedras with a medical clinic, with, with food distribution, with talking to the pastor and the spiritual leaders in that community. It's been 78 weeks since our church was on the mission field, the longest our church has ever gone not being on the mission field because of COVID. We finally got back on the mission field. Every time you give, we're thinking about global messes. Last night with Pastor Scott, we were talking. We have ministry partners on the ground in Afghanistan and Haiti right now who are saying, we can help them if you will help us. And I told Scott, figure out a way to get some money to our ministry partners in Afghanistan and our ministry partners in Haiti because everyone around the office water cooler is talking about the mess there, but probably no one's doing anything about it. Let's do something about it. We see the mess. Now let's do some ministry. See, every time you give a journey, you can know we are finding messes and we are engaging in them spiritually. I'm so excited about what's going on in Global Impact. In the area of sharing Jesus, just since Memorial Day, we've had 169 people acknowledge making first-time spiritual decisions. By the end of the day, 47 of those will have been baptized. They will have told their story to the church that I have decided to follow Jesus and I want the entire world to know. In generosity, just in 2021, we've invested more than $300,000 in the Global Missions Community Impact Church Planning. Our church turns 10 on September 19th, 10 years old. Our finance analysts have told us over the next 10 years, at 10 years, we will have given away nearly $2.5 million. At 20 years, it's going to be closer to $10 million that our church has invested in global missions, community outreach, and church planning. We are making a difference. And then in the area of multiplication, Hope Church Johns Creek launches uh, August 8th. Every year in America, more churches close than open. We need more new churches. If there are 76 Bible-preaching churches in Lee Summit, a community now nearly of 100,000 people, we need probably at least 76 more new churches because there, there are not a lot of churches that are able to minister to 1,000, 2,000 people at a time. That's really hard to do that. Like our community needs more new churches. When we look at this, we say ministry is happening. But the question is, does this get the headline or the footnote in your conversations about journey? Because there's also been a lot of messes. I mean, there's just been a lot of messes in the life that we live. And when we talk about what is going on here and in our world, are we including what Jesus is doing or are we reporting everything else? Like, it's inconvenient to come to our church. It's a mess. The vast majority of people want to go to church between 9 and noon on Sunday, and we beg everyone to go to Saturday night or 8 a.m. We're like, please don't go to church when you want to. Please come to church when we need you to. But if you want to come when you want to, we would like you to watch on a screen instead of being in the auditorium. God bless you in the venue for doing it. It's like, it's inconvenient to come and be a part of our church and what's going on in this season. You can't come to church without getting your shoes and your car dirty. That's annoying. Like every time you walk into church, your shoes get dirty. Every time you drive out of church, you need another car wash. That, that can be frustrating. 
Late this summer, the COVID protocols came back. And it, re- it really frustrated, honestly, some of the events that we were doing, some of the summer outreach that we were doing. It just made it more difficult. And then just in the last few weeks, the mask mandate came back out. But it doesn't apply to religious organizations. But if you're not vaccinated, it like, would be wise for you to wear a mask. But some people are very passionate that that takes away their personal freedoms. But some people are so vulnerable if they catch a virus. Like, they could, like it's, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. And the question is, in your mind, in your heart, and in your conversation, what gets the headlines and what gets the footnotes? It's so easy to talk about the mess and then maybe refer to what God is doing in the midst of the mess, and God wants us to be better. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Proverbs 14.4. It says, without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. You know what this means? If you don't want a mess, don't do any ministry. Turn to someone sitting next to you and say, there are no messes if there is no ministry. Just tell them, there's no messes if there's no ministry. However, you want to do, you, you want to do ministry that has big impact? you're going to make a big mess. You want a large harvest? You're going to have to have some big cows. They make big messes. So we have to ask ourselves as a church, are we called to make a big impact? Are we called to have a large harvest? Or are we called to have a clean stall? We are called to make a big impact and to have a big harvest, which means we better bring our brooms, but not our bad attitudes. Amen? Because like the stall is going to be dirty at journey. Because we're working in the fields and we're out early and we're back late. And sometimes we don't get to everything like we should. We're trying. We want to do better. Thanks for letting us know when we do need to do better. And thanks for helping us do better. But we've got to keep the ministry, the headlines. And it's up to spirit-filled Christians to keep pointing to the spiritual work of the Christ. The pigs are dead, but the people are restored. But the pigs, but the people, but the pigs, but the people. It's, it's the job of spirit-filled Christians to say, yes, we know the pigs died. That is a shame. We won't have bacon for at least six months. However, the people, the people, the people, the people, Jesus is moving in the hearts of people. It is the job of spirit-filled Christians to keep pointing to the spiritual work of the Christ. This did not happen in Matthew chapter 8. Instead, they pointed to the mess. And when the whole town went out to meet Jesus, they saw him and said, can you please leave? The people in the town had not met Jesus. They had only heard about Jesus and heard about his ministry, but they heard about Jesus and heard about his ministry in a way that made them say, we don't want that here. Please take it away. The testimony of one person talking about the ministry of Jesus made a whole town say, I guess we don't want that here. You know, the exact opposite happened in John chapter 4. The testimony of one person talking about Jesus also impacted the whole town, but in a way that made them want to meet Jesus rather than reject Jesus. When the Samaritan woman went and told her town what had happened, they came to Jesus and they said, please stay, please stay. Which means the way we talk about Jesus and journey and ministry and what God is doing in the world is making people think, I don't want him or I'm more interested in him. People who haven't met him or been impacted by his ministry are trying to figure out if they want to based on what you are saying. 
This was not the first time this happened in this country, in this spot, on this side of the Jordan River. 1,500 years before this, Moses had led a people of Israel out of slavery, and he'd led them through the desert to the edge of the promised land, and he said, it's almost time to go home. And he chose 12 men, and he said, go over and map the place so we know where we're going to go. And 10 of those 12 men came back and said, it is everything you said it is, but we cannot go there. Can't do it. It's not worth it. We'll be killed. A lot of battles. Not going to be any fun. And the people sided with those 10, just like the people at Gadara. They said, yeah, we don't want God's promise because they've said, it's gonna, they've said we don't want it. So I guess we don't want it. Our community is listening to how you talk about Jesus and the work of Jesus. And they're trying to figure out, not do I need that, but do I want that? And what you say makes a tremendous difference, which means this lesson of faith is really important. People are going to hear what you say, and you're going to say what you see, which means we better start training our eyes to see the ministry more than the mess. Listen, this is so important in your marriage. If you're married in the United States of America in 2021, there's probably some messes in your marriage. It's so important to train your eyes and your heart to see the ministry or you might not make it. It's so important when your kids are teenagers or when they start to become adults and everything is a mess. It's so important to be able to kind of cut through that mess and to see what Jesus is doing. It's kind of like panning for gold, like you pick up their life in this bin and it's just a mess. But if you keep shaking down that mess, eventually you might get one little nugget of gold for your son or daughter and say, this is where this is where I'm going to stick my heart because this is where I see Jesus still moving and working. We have to train our eyes to see the ministry because our natural bent is to see the mess. We have to look at our job. I know you got things in your job that are a mess right now, but where is Jesus still working? See the ministry, see the ministry, see the ministry because the world who needs Jesus, they depend on your eyes to tell your mouth, to tell them things that attract them to Jesus. It's so important that we see the ministry. You say, Christian, I've got a problem here. I need to do better. How do I do this? You need to honestly, you need to become experts in spiritual warfare. You need to learn to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit talking about Jesus from the voice of spiritual warfare talking about the mess. And we're going to commit three weeks to that this fall. Our 21 days of prayer is coming up. It'll start Sunday, September 19th, run through Saturday, October 9th. And I feel like God's really impressed on my heart that this year for 21 days, we need to teach on spiritual warfare and pray on spiritual warfare so that our church knows how to distinguish between the voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of spiritual warfare. And if you say in my marriage, I'm struggling to see anything but a mess, come let us teach you how to hear the Holy Spirit. If you say in my job, struggling to see anything but the mess, come let us teach you how to hear the Holy Spirit. If you say with my kids, I'm struggling to see, with my church, I'm struggling to see anything but the mess, come learn how to hear the Holy Spirit whisper to you, not the pigs, the people. Stop looking at the pigs, look at the people. Don't worry about the pigs, look at the people. Let us teach you how to do that. 21 days. We'll pray every morning during the week, Monday through Friday from 6 to 7 a.m. It'll all be uh, broadcast on our digital platform. So if you can't be here, you can follow along that way. On Saturday mornings, we'll pray at 9. On Sunday, we'll pray during church. But we'll take 21 days to say, God, teach us to distinguish between the Holy Spirit and spiritual warfare because our community needs you. But the number one, like if 
they've done surveys, and if you read the surveys, one of the number one of the number one reasons that people who are not Christians don't go to church is because of how their Christian friends talk about their churches. And they're like, why would I come to your church? You don't even like your church. We have to start making Jesus attractive so they come to him and say, will you stay with me? Will you help me? Broken culture, broken spirit, no hope. A past that people don't want to hang on to. Jesus can and is willing to change all that. But we got to help people see him. What has God said to your heart about your specific mess and his ministry in the midst of it? And what are you going to do as you leave this place today? Those are the questions I want you to think on as we close in prayer. Would you pray with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room. But hearts are open. Are you in the habit of making headlines out of the messes and footnotes out of the ministry? Maybe it's the way your daddy or your grandpa talked about their church. Maybe it's the way mom or grandma talked about her prayer meeting. Maybe it's just the thing your small group gets off on every time. If that's you, repent. That's wrong. And ask God to change your eyes so they always see the work of Jesus more than the mess of ministry. They'll always both be there, but you can choose to focus on ministry. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you need to understand Jesus crossed the street to connect to you. Are you willing to allow his cross to become the path you follow to connect to him? What you need to hear today if you don't know Jesus is that he loves you, he lived for you. He died on the cross so your sin could be forgiven, so you could be close to him and right with God. And he is willing to leave heaven to come sit in your seat with you and be a part of your life. All you have to do is receive him if you've never done that. You just open up your heart and you pray to the God of heaven and you pray something like this. You could repeat this prayer after me, not out loud, but just in your heart. Just say something like this, Jesus, I need you. Just repeat it after me from your heart to heaven. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of my hurt. Lead me into my future. Today, I surrender my life to your leadership. I ask for your salvation. And I commit to follow you. If you just prayed that prayer in just a second, we'll tell you how you can let us know so we can pray for you, maybe even pray with you, give you some resources to help you in your new discipleship journey. But Christians, before we close in prayer, do you need to cross the street to show love to a broken person who's living through a broken season right now in their life? They're not going to get in a boat and go to Galilee, but you can get in a boat and go to them. If you have someone like that right now, would you just pray for them and ask Jesus to help you and thank him for setting an example for you that it's okay to cross the street to minister to someone who doesn't know him. God, thank you for Jesus and his teaching and his lessons in faith because, Lord, our natural eyes see the mess bigger than the ministry and our natural words talk about the mess more than the ministry. It's just who we are without Jesus. But through your Holy Spirit, our eyes can change, our words can change, which means our impact can change. God, we would love a clean stall, but not at the expense of no ministry. So God, we invite the ministry 
we acknowledge the mess. And God, we will bring to the ministry of journey our brooms rather than our bad attitudes. And we'll keep sending that ox out because Lord, we know until you've reached our entire community, we're not done yet. So change us, use us, be with us. And we ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.